from the book of Daniel this morning. Book of Daniel, and the sixth chapter. We're going to read just one verse today, verse number 10. This is probably one of the most familiar storylines in the Old Testament. This is where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. I'm just going to talk about one verse. This kind of gives us what starts uh, into it and, and puts the conclusion briefly and uh, shares it with you thoughts. So once you have found that, Daniel chapter 6, let's stand together. I've got the second God and his holy word. Daniel 6, 10. Now when Daniel knew, and that's what we're going to think about, Daniel knew something that already transpired as far as this priest. So this is an understanding. And that not only that, but the writing was signed. So the decree was then authorized by the king. Earlier, talked about when these incursions determine something and not cannot be undone, even by the king himself. And said, he went into his house. And his window being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and here's the phrase, and gave thanks before his God as he did a full time. Father, we let look at your word a couple of minutes, bless the time, use it for your glory. Help us, Lord, to be a thankful people. Help us to realize all that we have, all that we are, all that we will be because of the grace. We come to you and thank you for who you are, that you are, as we just said, holy, holy, holy. You always have been, you are, and you always will be. As Jesus described it in the Revelation, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning. You are our Creator. You are our coming Savior. And you will be the one that one day will transform this earth. So, Lord, even we, the church, can't wait for the new heaven and the new earth. And all things become new. And, Lord, then the tribulation of what we go through now will make sense. So, Lord, teach us to give thanks. Even when things seem to be dismal, they seem as though there's no victory, there's nothing good that can come out of it. God, teach us to be a thankful people. And Lord, start with you first. Well, thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. We know this In this chapter, I'm going to give you a very quick. Oh, turn the clock off so I can preach as long as I want. Thank you, guys. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. <laughs> in, uh, in the beginning, what we learned in verse 1, and I'm, I'm just highlighting things. You won't be able to follow along. I'm just giving you a big picture here. The king has created 120 leaders who were princes over the entire kingdom. Of them, there were three that were considered presidents, those who were overthought. And amongst those three, Daniel was number one. Isn't it powerful how God uses great men and women of God and raises them up to a position, even politically? In that, it tells us that Daniel was even distinguished above the, uh, above the president, and he actually tells us why in verse 3, because he had an excellent spirit. There was something that changed all in Daniel that was different. 
It was something about his demeanor. It was something about how he used it, how he did things. He wasn't Mr. Negative, pessimistic. He just did the job with a right heart attitude. And he stuck out. By the way, we Christians should stick out. We should be viewed as, I can trust him. These other guys, I'm not sure what their agendas are. This man, this woman, I can trust. And there was something about him that was different. That's why he was exalted. Matter of fact, because of that, as usual, those other two, and others probably, didn't like the fact that the king liked Daniel more. So he gave more authority. He was the go-to man. Well, that usually generates inside the lost man jealousy. So what do they do? They try to find a way to take the one who is in leadership and tear him down. Because what did he do wrong? Absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, later on in this text, it says they try to find something that they can accuse Daniel of. And look at this code. Let's get find one thing to say, oh, by the way, change, do you know Daniel's doing this? They couldn't find a thing. But they did determine one thing. Well, we know he believes in Jehovah God. And Jehovah created laws for the Jews. Maybe we could use that as a leverage. So they looked and they thought, oh, if we create a decree that we're going to exalt the king, of course, there's no other God, no other man that could be chosen to for petitions except for you. You're the man, okay? Doesn't that sound good? So they do. Of course, you'll note that Daniel wasn't invited to this meeting. He was part, so they could put this into writing. And they said, anyone in this royal statute, anyone that asks a petition of any god or any man for 30 days, except of you, O king, better be cast into the den of lions. So the king signs. And that's what we see in verse 10. And Daniel knew. He knew what the king did. By the way, he and the king had incredible rapport. And we see that a little later on. This is the other side of the town. We know that Daniel determined that he was going to go ahead and continue to pray. And of course, those leaders that wanted to take him out of position went quickly to the king and said, King, didn't you make a decree? Didn't you make a royal statute that no one is allowed to pay attention to any other man or any other god except for you? And if not you, then they're going to be cast into the, the lion's den. Yeah, the first the king says, well, guess what Daniel did? Not only did he just pray, they didn't know that they rehearsed it. He prayed three times a day. It's not just one time, oh, I forgot. Daily, three times a day, he was going against your statue. He's undermining you. He's undermining your authority. You can almost see this all. The king's reaction was, he was distressed. Why? Because he, he honored Daniel. He loved this man. That's as we know because of his reaction to the statue of what was going to happen to Daniel. This was the man he could trust. And he knew he was done. This man knew he got set me up. He set me up to undermine Daniel. So, he goes to Daniel and Sure enough, Daniel had to be cast into the den of lions. 
also recorded in verse 16. He was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king cries out to him and says, May your God, whom you're serving continually, may he deliver you. The king actually thought, They must see, like, see what's going on. They don't know and believe your God, but he's done something to you. Maybe he can deliver you from this, this incredible pit filled with hungry lions that are ready to devour you. So, tell this to the king. Has the tomb that he opened the sea was sealed. And it was early in the morning. You can see that in verse 19. The king rose up early in the morning. And he runs to the den of lions. He first opened it up. He gave the king the cake. He to talk to Daniel. You God able to do it? Are you alive down there? What's going on? And quickly the reply comes back from Daniel. I'm alive. And my God, somehow he stole something to me. And he delivered me as a result. God's word tells us that my God has sent his angel to quote the lion's mouth. That's powerful. We understand angelic beings and the powers that they have, and God says these are my messengers that are going to fulfill things for you. They did again. And so, Daniel is down there. I love that one picture with the crazy just standing there. All by himself, lies all around him, and just standing there, people on the cross, and nothing happened. I love that because. The picture for humanity is he does. The portrayal is peace. He's not worried about the lions behind him that might come and attack him and, and, and start to screw on him. He would actually come. By the way, we have an adversary who is called a lion. He seeks to devour us. He gets to protect us, our God. And he can stop that one lion also. And beautiful pictures of the scene and, and have time for all that to do. But he sent the angel to draw the mouth and to tell us the king was incredibly glad in verse number 23. The king is so excited. And so he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Keep, keep that. Get, get him out of here. Get him out of there. And it says he found no hurt of any kind on him. There wasn't even a claw mark on him. Nothing happened to him at all. And it tells us in verse 23 just because he believed God. He believed in his God and, and the king knew that. So, those two accused Daniel of doing wrong, he says, bring them now. Not only them, but go ahead and bring the wives, bring the children, bring them all to the edge and throw them in. And while they are on their way down, it appears that these lions were Jumping into the air to grab them as they're coming down before they hit the bottom of that cave, and they begin to crunch on and eat what we call lunchtime. It's amazing how men think they can get away with being evil. But it's not. They get away with it for a while, but eventually it's going to come back. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I return. 
But not in our timing, but God takes care of the all. God says, if you've done something good under the leaf of these brethren, it's as though you've done it unto me. But the reverse of that is you also. If you've done evil towards one of my kids, it's as though you've done it unto me. He told Stephen, or excuse me, uh, Paul, he says, how hard is it for you to kick against the, the, the goad whose pricks are going to hurt you when you kick? If, if you've done it unto any of my believers, you're doing it unto me. And that's back in number nine. So, here's Daniel. Now we go back to the middle of all of this. We go back to the thought, what is going through Daniel's mind when he knows that the royal statue has now been signed by his boss, the king. Those who were underneath him are now trying to undermine him and have him not just taken out of office. They know what's going to happen. Finally, he's going to be out of our hair, dead, and we won't have to look at this guy again. And then they're probably looking at him and they wonder who he's going to put in his place. I wonder who would have been put there and what the other would have done to him then. If they would have done it to Daniel, they would do it to each other. And that's what Jesus does. It's always in the attack mode trying to tear others down to build themselves up. By the way, God says that you and I work as being others better than our own selves. We're not supposed to see ourselves as something we lift it up with pride. We're to humble ourselves and become obedient that Jesus Christ was. And it's working too, even if that means death. Daniel was there. And he counted his life as nothing. He's like, God, I'm going to come to you to what I have done before. In the text, we know that Daniel, as he usually does, goes to his home and he gets by himself. Once he knew that the writing, this, this statute was in place and that it was signed, he went alone. By himself. And then he passed. Sometimes we think of the corporate prayer as maybe the most important prayer time. That we come together and congregate to pray. And I'm no way saying that that's not important. That's absolutely important. It's really important. But... God keeps going to one-on-one prayer as a very, very important part. Because I'm telling you now, the order you get, the more you're going to realize one thing. It's you and God. When you're on your deathbed, you and God. You might have family there, and they might be crying and everything, but you're going to realize that it's you and God. And no one else can change or do anything. And that's the thought of coming alone with God. Jesus walked that way when he would go up into a mountain all by himself. And when questioned about prayer, teach time prayer. Of course, he said, don't do it like the Pharisees. Don't do it out in the streets to be seen of men. He says, well, here's my decision for you. You, when you put the air in your closet. When you shut the door, you go into your father, you pray to your father in secret. And your father, which sees and hears and knows everything that's done in secret, when he hears that, he says, I'm going to reward you 
open them. So when we close the door, and God opens up this, this other door for the world to realize what happens because you got alone with God. One on one. There's times of public prayer are there's some men that get together once a week on uh, Friday morning they, they get together and pray. It's going to time for us to join in prayer. And that is absolutely necessary. And I so much encourage the praying together. But God is also saying there's something about you and God alone. And then we're going to be able to speak that. When was the last time you got a word with God? And you get to share your heart. You can say, God, search me and know me. He's just going on inside of me. I'm busy with all these things, but sometimes we can busy ourselves with things and don't have a real great relationship with the Lord. Get along. And then we say, God, search me. And then we begin to praise Him. There's not any... I don't to see here saying, God, get me out of this. Talk to the Lord. Thank the Lord. Someone can face that, I know it's going to turn out right. Whatever God wills, that's what's going to happen. And we begin to talk to the Lord. And we begin to just tell Him, pray. And he does it. So we enter alone. We get alone. And, and that's what he was doing. Everything that he had done before, three times a day, business as usual, no change of habit, he does the same thing. In other words, God put that in to help you realize, well, this decree is there. Well, I'm going to just start praying three times a day then. I'm going to just do this in spite of the change decree. No, 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 no. He's just doing what he's always done. By the way, Christians, there's one thing that we need to be is consistent. We're always mountaintops and valleys. Everything's great, praise the Lord, everything's horrible, oh no. Everything's so depressing and it's so horrible. I think we need to pray now so I can get back up on the mountain again where everything's awesome and great again. And guess what? That's not reality, right? So lows or highs. God wants us to be consistent. That's what Daniel, that's what I think the, 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 the king's all of them is his consistency, his faith, his belief, his morality. What he did is a Jew, and he knew who his God was. He, there was no surprise to the king. It's because of consistency. We are way too emotional, Christians. We're going to talk about some of this next year. We're way over emotional. And we do, we really love our emotions and are guided by them, sometimes more than the written word. So, get the emotions under control. And just talk to God, what do you say? Here's what I'm praying to you, and be consistent. I think God is seeing that in faith. Just trusting to do it. Just do it the way you've always done. Have your consistency when it comes to the prayer. By the way, we like praying on here. Morning, noon, and night. So maybe that could be a thought of when we can maybe take the time to pray. Morning, noon, and night. Be consistent with that. So, it's interesting, he tells us also that he has this window open. 
So, so what? Well, it's probably hot there. Hell in the area. Need a little breeze coming through. Agree. They would have their windows open. This would be what they do so that they would have a nice breeze because they didn't have AC back then. So, no, you know that it's not because of that. It's the thought of, I've always had this window open. They all know I'm crazy in time today. I'm, I'm not going to shut the window this time to do it in secret. Nothing can change here. Doesn't matter what the world is saying. This is my relationship with my job, and I'm not closing a window because people hate me. And if you open, there it is. So we're going to hate you whether you have your window open or not, because those that hate, hate you. That's what we're seeing in the world. It's hate you. All right. So, hate me. Because I love Jesus. It doesn't work. You gotta have a smile. Even saying the name G, you can put a smile on your face immediately. He just senses peace in this man, and he comes to the Lord. He tells you to get on his knees. There's something else he tells you to his direction. As he was praying towards Jerusalem. It says, take note, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46 through 49. The key is verse number 48. That song actually brought this concept up. If you're captivity, if you're ever taken to another land in captivity, you pray towards this land. But it's not just Jerusalem, it's the fact that God is going to put my name there. And it is the place where the temple is at. If the established place on this earth for Jehovah, and they say, you remember what I've established for you, Jesus, when you pray towards that place. So, it's Jerusalem. It's towards where the temple would have been. Of course, at this point, we understand that the uh, Babylonians destroyed and desecrated, etc. We understand that. But they feel this sentiment that God's name is there. They give on his knees. You know, the callous knees are important. It's not because I said the prayer and now I lay me down to sleep, which is a little creepy prayer. That's one of the crazy things. Do not treat your children. And I will lose the answers to that favor. Lord, that's a whole thing. And if I die before I wake, are you kidding me? Kids are chances or not. I may be dead before I wake. What are they telling me? I'm hoping God takes my little eyes. I really. Good biblical prayer, folks. So it's not just a simple prayer. God is good. God is great. You know, like, we're bathing this. We're taking some time and work. Now, maybe the order you get, you get bad knees. And then we'll obviously have cow's knees. They, they knees aren't good, so I walk. I love to walk and call. But you do it the way you want. The position for us is different now. Because, you know, you're talking to women, well, we're talking about, you know, you pray in this mountain, and you pray in this mountain, you know, we're talking about these mountain experiences, you know, and things like, I'm going to tell you that, I'm going to tell you that, there's going to be a dead 
And God, I come here from there. It's because God's Spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not about location, it's not about what you know, this time the Bible falls flat in their face, you know, wander out, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not mocking that in any way. All that I'm saying is the position of the body is not going to get the first answer back to the heart. Come from here, God. Listen to it. It's not about what you said, it's about the heart. So what you think? So he prays that he only got on his knees, showing the humility before God, and he does it three times a day as a consistent way of going to the Lord, which we've already talked about, and he prayed. And it's not only recorded what he said here, because he prayed. But the specific is given, and that's why he wanted to go to this text. He gave thanks. He gave thanks because of God. Just like he did before. In other words, before the creed, before the statue was ever given, he came to God and he tells God. So now, right before this all is going to take place, he knows what's going to come, but he still says, God, thank you. Thank you. You know, we have in our language, we understand it's a gratitude and understanding that someone else is getting other benefit and come to ourselves. We give gratitude to the individual for what they have done. And of course, it's all about God. A gratitude for who he is, what he has done, great mercy, love, all those things that we so love about our God. And he begins to, to thank him. But with the dinner he made in this text is he is thanking them before it happens. I had I, I never noticed this about my prayers, but often I will say, God, thank you for what you're going to do. And I find it in my prayer. And I had a lady come here years ago. She said, You know what I appreciate about the girl? I said, What's that? You always thank the Lord for what He's going to be doing. Before it actually happened, you know what happened, but you still thank God. And that's the attitude that God's trying to teach us here is all the gratitude or thankfulness in our heart because we know God has it all covered. He knows what we have need of before we even ask. My God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of Lord. So what are we going to do this for God? Thank Him, praise Him. And there is something about praising him in the midst of the battle. So, before it ever happens, he says, thank you. It's interesting, if you go to the book of Acts, in chapter number 5, and specifically 41, what happens is the early leaders of the church, at the beginning of chapter 4 or chapter 5, the real start to get stronger, the opposition to preaching in Jesus' name, that the control can be added. You guys put Jesus' guilt on us. You know, they're, they're going to get mad because you know, they're not saying, oh, by the way, it was Jesus. But they're just how it's going to be. And they're just preaching, Jesus died and rose again. And they were making the Jewish leaders of Sanhedrin mad at Hornets. So they began to persecute these Christians who are preaching in Jesus' name, the death, burial, and resurrection. They're like, you need to stop this. They're like, well, to do a big God or you. Uh, we're going to obey God. Because God's first and you're not. So we're going to keep going with what God wants us to do. 
And then they begin to persecute them and bring some physical harm. And then they're going out glorifying God. And they're saying, praise the Lord, we are found worthy to go through this suffering for Jesus. So they're thanking and praising God towards the persecution. So we have Daniel before being thrown in, thanking. We have these men thanking God in the midst of it. And we always will see in the scriptures where I thank God upon every member of you because this is what God has done to you looking back at the church and the transitions and the coming out of the idolatry and the transformed lives. And you used to think this way, but now you're transformed. So, thankfulness is before, during, and after. I think Thessalonians says this way. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There's not a time or not that we are allowed to not give thanks. There's not one time. Before, during, or after, we're always to be thankful. You say, do you do that, Carl? Because we forget. Why do you think God has his word for us? Because we have to keep reminding us then we go back in the flesh and we forget and we begin to grumble and complain. And yet yeah, we have these examples, like Daniel. The right before it was all going to happen. I don't know what Ryan you're about to face. I don't know what hardship, persecution, who might not like you, at work, who's come to take your job. I don't know what you're going through. So you just thought, I don't know what's going to happen, but thank you. You pray about it, but you have to go into the attitude of thanks. Because if we're dealing with sinful men versus the pureness and holiness and love of God, God is always for us. But it seems to be man, it seems to be wanting to go against us. Sometimes even in the Christian world. People want to raise their head up and say, well, who, who made you boss? And, and they begin to undermine. Well, that's many. So our focus is to be in God. And if our focus is on God, and there, we're going to be thankful. But if our focus is on men and on the line, we're going to be thankful. We're going to let the emotions take over. We're going to be grumpy. And we're going to say, why? Why me? Why am I going through this? Because okay I pray for you if you were going through it. You know, I love you, brother, but I don't want it to be me. And yet the prophet said, Who God is me? I was like, God counted me faithful enough, worthy to be able to go through the persecution. And they told Paul said this way in Timothy. He said, I thank my God who counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Matter of fact, Ethan and I get to go pray once in a few minutes and teach every week. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I've offered him pray, and I have prayed too. Or that we can't believe he looked it up and said, We're going to put him in the ministry. And we begin to thank God for that fact. And it's amazing to see that God is doing in our lives. And all he's waiting for is to do it. He's thanking for it. No matter what God is doing in your life, remember, he's thankful. If it's true, he's thankful. 
If it's parsnip, be thankful. If it's middle road, everything is kind of kind of slow, be thankful. Before, during, and after, and you're going to do what? The greatest thing you've done before is Jesus Christ. Where will we be without him? He gave his life and power so that we could be free. We could be free from our sins, free from guilt, free from all that. And to be given eternal life, and all because God loves us, and because of his grace, life is good, folks. Lord, we love you, and thank you for this time together. And we do trust, Lord, that you'll use it for your glory and for your honor. But then, by and I suppose, for a moment, my friend, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, we love you, but I love you even more. And he can send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin. See, I thought I had to wash my own sin away or do enough good to make the, the bad go away. It doesn't work that way. The only way you can be forgiven of it, that it will be taken from your record, is through Jesus Christ. By Him dying on the cross, God sees the cross as payment for your sin, so that you go free. If you call on Him, say, Lord, I do believe I'm a sinner, that you died for me, you rose again for me, and you're now in heaven listening to me right now, I call on you to wash away my sin, to save me from my sin, deliver me from this penalty, give me eternal life, He will. It's as simple as that. You say, but I thought I had to change something or do something. It's not by your works. It's by faith, believing in Jesus Christ. That's what He's done for you. This is something that I think to God. He said, God, I do know in your sight I'm a sinner. And that's why you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe He did. I believe He died for my sin. And He paid for my sin in full. So now I accept that thing. I call on you to apply it to my account that I will be free from my sin. I believe you died. I believe you rose again for me. Thank you for saving me. Help me now, Lord, to live for you all the days of my life. Help me to love you. Help me to serve you. Thank you for being my God. You prayed that if something came around, by Christ, and we will rejoice with you. Let's stand together.